Okay, I'm going to introduce you. So, how do I say your first name? Young. Young. Okay, Young. And then you go. You have. You go by a different name, right? You have a. Oh, my nickname is Sophie. Sophie. Okay. Okay. And how do I say your first name again? Young. Young. Okay. All right. So thank you, Young Sun uh, or Sophie. It's okay if I call you Sophie during the during the. the mm -hmm, of course. So yeah. um, uh, you're a PhD student at MIT, right? And you're you just finished up. Uh, I'm uh, wrapping up my dissertation. You're wrapping up your dissertation. Okay. Well, thank you so much for uh, talking to me. Um, <clears throat> so uh, your paper is is making waves across the world as being really important uh for for understanding um for understanding difference and differences in the way that it's done and i just wanted to talk to you about it um uh and uh kind of just pick your brain a little bit about the project and about your um approach to econometrics but if we could just start if you could just tell me about yourself um where are you from and how did you get uh, into becoming an econometrician? How did you end up at Cambridge and how did you end up becoming an econometrician? Oh, thanks so much for asking. Uh, I'm from China. I came to the U.S. for college and grad school and uh, I actually started out grad school being um, more interested in public finance. You can see that the motivation for this paper um, started in public finance as well. Mm. Um, but uh, I met really great advisors at MIT in um, econometrics. So um, Professor Anna Mukshiva and um, Professor Isaiah Andrews, mm. um, who took me under their wings. So I guess I um, gradually blended more econometrics into my uh, grad school work mm. um, as I progressed. Yeah, um, yeah. Do you consider yourself an econometrician now? Oh, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah okay. but I'm also still very much interested in public finance public and, finance. uh, okay. um, yeah, hopefully there'll be more, uh, joint projects, um, yeah. with public finance economists. Yeah, that's, oh, that's neat. So, oh yeah, I uh, should mention Sarah Abraham, the co-author. Yeah. She, she's in public finance. Um, she's also in public finance. So we, are y'all in the same cohort? Is that the, y'all are uh, both, she's like, one year above me. She's one year above you. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, and y'all. So how who how did this project come about? How did it get started? <laughs> oh, um, Abraham paper. Yeah, I like how you mentioned this as like a uh, live tree because uh, it <laughs> have a tree. It had roots in my public finance class uh, with Professor Amy Finkelstein. Mm. Um, she was telling us how uh, these events study. Um, research designs are very common um, that are helpful for tracing out the dynamic treatment effects, but mm -hmm. sometimes she feels a bit puzzled because the results are sensitive to how you um, write down the dynamic specification, mm -hmm. how many leads and acts you, you add. So mm -hmm. she was more just posing this as a as uh, a question um, to the to the classroom, not mm. not as like a research question at the time, mm. just out of curiosity. Um, so mm. Sarah and I chatted um, after class and thought that this could be a, um, a interesting project to look into. So that yeah. was how it started. Yeah. yeah so 
very much um, um, uh, um, due to Amy's uh, comment and, mm. and encouragement for us to pursue this because it was also my third year paper in grad school that she mm. um, uh, helped advising. Um, mm. So a lot of credit is due to Amy. <laughs> oh, oh. So both you and Sarah both kind of just started talking when the question was posed. Y'all both got intrigued by it or th yep, that's what yep. happened? Okay. Yeah. What year was that? Oh, 2017. <laughs> 2017. Okay. Uh, um, well, okay. So I have some more personal questions, but now that we're talking about the paper, I want to just jump into the paper. So what could you tell me what you see as the core insights in a few words of the, of your paper with Sarah? Yeah, so this paper is really about how to interpret uh, the dynamic classification when there are multiple treatment uh, cohorts where each cohort receives uh, the treatment at different times. So um, if um, in the perfect world that there is homogeneous treatment effects that every cohort experiences the same profile of treatment effects, then the dynamic classification mm -hmm. is totally um, valid and um, um, helps researchers understand the dynamics in the treatment mm -hmm. effects. But mm -hmm. when um, cohorts may experience the treatment effect differently, then um, there is a question whether the specification is still estimating the average treatment mm -hmm. effect for a given mm -hmm. um, lead or lag. So that was how uh, we started looking into the decomposition result for, mm -hmm. um, for the dynamic specification. Mm -hmm. um, and um, the result turned out um, to be a bit negative in the sense that if there are indeed heterogeneity across cohort, then mm -hmm. uh, treatment effect from a different uh, lead or lag than the uh, coefficient that's intended for could contaminate the, this coefficient. So yeah. therefore makes the interpretation um, um, uh, different from what usually researchers had in mind. Were you surprised by that result? Um, I I have to say yes. <laughs> so I was hoping that um, it would return just an average of the mm -hmm. treatment effects from that lead or lag. But yeah. uh, um, but if you really write down the saturated regression, which is the correct specification that allow um, allow the um, all the flexibility in the treatment effect heterogeneity, then um, it became um, a bit easier to see why mm. the contamination could happen. And that's because when you have multiple cohorts, even though you write down the dynamic specification with all the uh, relative time indicators, this yeah. panel is no longer balanced in both calendar time and the relative time. Oh. So that was how you get this um, contamination because the relative time indicators are still um, correlated with each other. Yeah, um, right. right. Yeah, um, I really think of it. I, I did see that in the paper, but I forgot that you said that. So, yeah, when you're doing it in event time, it's no longer balanced in event time. Don't you talk about in the paper, though, balancing in event time? Do you say something about that, about actually mechanically balancing the paper, balancing the data set so that everything has the same? Not not in the discussion of bending and trimming, but or maybe it was in the context of the bending and trimming. But that doesn't seem to solve it. Oh, the I think that was probably about trimming. Um, yeah. um, so you would drop um, 
relative periods uh, beyond certain leads and lags. Mm -hmm. So yeah, mechanically that would remove the influence from the periods right. you dropped, yeah, but then yeah. um, um, the relative time indicators are still correlated because there are multiple uh, cohorts. Mm. Okay, okay, okay. Well, how did you go about, so what's the method of the decomposition that you used to uncover this? Because I spoke with Andrew Goodman Bacon and he said he attempted it and he was not able to do it. So I'm curious how, how you were, how do you go about tackling that kind of problem? I'm not an econometrician, so I'm just kind of learning more from you about how you went about doing that decomposition. Ah, you, oh yeah, of course. Oh, I, I want to know from Andrew how he had the visual decomposition. That was very nice. Uh, I wish <laughs> I had that ability um, because to me it was more from, um, unfortunately it was a lot of uh, matrix algebra that we start with a saturated regression mm. uh, and then try to apply the omitted variable bias formula because you can think of the dynamic specification you start with as the, I guess what we call the short regression right. um, in the omitted variable bias formula, whereas yeah. the saturated um, regression as the long regression. Yeah. So you can apply the OVB mm. formula to back out the, um, the um, I guess the implied coefficient, which yeah. would be proportional to um, uh, the regression coefficient from regressing the regressor in the long regression on um, mm -hmm. the short regression. Yeah, so that yeah. was the, uh, the OVB <laughs> uh, algebra. But yeah, I wish I had Andrew's um, visual decomposition that would make the results much more easier yeah. to communicate. <laughs> yeah, sure, um, sure. Well, they're, well, yours is fantastic. Um, uh, so what, let me ask you this. Okay. Why do you think, so there's been a flurry of papers that came out in the last couple of years. Yours is an important part of a, of a suite of papers that I think we're all just going to be studying for a very long time. And I was curious, why is it that it took so long for these problems with two-way fixed effects to be discovered. Why, why is it just now, and why is it just like all of a sudden, all these econometricians, they all seem young. They all seem like junior or PhD students. And there's all this like simultaneous discovery that two-way fixed effects has this bias in this situation and you find it with the event studies. And I'm just wondering why did it take so long for us to learn this stuff? Oh, <laughs> um, that's a good question. I'm, I'm curious too, because I actually started really inspired by Amy's comment. He was teaching the Dash Pandi and Lee 2019 paper using the uh, variation the timing of um, social security office closure. Mm. Um, and I guess that was possible because now more administrative data sets are available. So right. we do see this flurry of um, empirical papers using the event study uh, research design. Mm. Um, yeah, you say that in the opening sentence of your paper. You <laughs> the working paper I have, which is the availability of rich panel data has caught is partly responsible for the explosion in the DD po possibly at least. Right. That's kind of was your, you sort of argued that in the opening part of the introduction. Yeah. 
Yep. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, part part of it is the panel data from admin has come. It's always more of a recent. Is more recent or has been growing? Is that what you're saying? That the, the yeah. availability of the panel data sets. Okay. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Please keep keep going. Oh no, no, at all. That was what uh, I was going to say. Uh, at least in, in my perspective, I learned these papers in grad school, and they all seem very recent. Right. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. The empirical papers that y'all, the empirical papers that prompted your study were recent empirical papers. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, it, it's actually very cool how you commented on other econometricians that were working on this at the same time. I guess in 2018, I still didn't know I would become econometrician. Right. And it was actually really thanks to my advisors who, uh, I think it was Anna who first told me about um, Pedro Santana and um, Brent Calloway's paper, and that was really encouraging to know that other um, like theoretical econometricians are also working on this. Um, mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I guess it um, was uplifting to know that this also had a theoretical interest. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, and of course, Shansamatan um, for I think was also contemporaneous. Um, yeah. Um, that um, was really helpful. And um, I guess Borussia Ganyarova had a working paper from 2017 um, um, that uh, was also inspiring. I remember for, for them, they took the event study pacification as, a, as the true model. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it was slightly different from how we <laughs> uh, approach this issue. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, you're right. There were many contemporaneous papers. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's. I mean, I, I think it's fascinating. That's interesting. I mean, so you were being taught empirical papers, or you were reading these empirical papers that were relatively recent, and then just sort of an offhanded comment by Amy, or whatever it was. This posing of a question by Amy really gets you and Sarah engaged on a topic that probably needed to have been analyzed 10 years ago when you think about it you know how many oh. papers there's been that use event studies for a diff and diff with differential timing it's just it's the mode you know for me it just seems like that's just obligatory to do it this way and i'm so i'm just so impressed that i'm just so impressed that it was you you uncovered it but i'm also really puzzled why why was this not discovered sooner? You know, that, that kind of leads me into my, my main question. So like in grad school, when we learned, uh, when we took our panel sequence, we learned obviously about the fixed effects model and, and strict exogeneity allowing for you to have consistent unbiased estimates of some parameter. And there was, there was clearly no, subscripts on the beta so you know you you could you would know that it's not heterogeneous treatment effects i guess but I, that never I, I never noticed that because we didn't talk in terms of potential outcomes in graduate school so we never talked about heterogeneous treatment effects but what i find so confusing is no one has ever explained to me strict exogeneity implies um it implies 
either a two by two diff and diff, but it it does not imply, it does not work with differential, I don't even have the right words, but it, strict exogeneity is not gonna hold if you have differential timing and heterogeneous treatment effects. And I guess like I'm wanting to hear you respond to what I'm gonna say, which is how could we have known that? How could anyone have known that strict exogeneity actually rules out differential timing and heterogeneity? Why, why, would, why would anybody have known that? Did Gary Chamberlain know that? I mean, I know you don't know, but like, was that, did people understand that? Or is this a real new discovery? Does that make sense? Oh, <laughs> um, yeah, I cannot speak on behalf of, yeah. um, um, I mean, I think people worked on panel data models um, um, from a different perspective. I guess the potential outcome framework is probably more recently incorporated in um, econometrics. Um, at least when I took it, um, Josh, Professor Josh Ankris would um, teach it. Um, yeah. So I guess I was really fortunate to um, have taken econometrics with the pioneers in this field. Yeah, sure. um, so um, I guess for, for um, incorporating the potential outcome framework in the panel data model, then you can see the heterogeneous treatment effect once you kind of group that into the error term. Right. Um, if there is heterogeneity, then the error term would be correlated with the cohort indicator. So oh. therefore the strict exogeneity assumption wouldn't hold um, under this heterogeneity um, of treatment okay. effects and multiple treatment cohorts. Right, right, um, right. So that was how, um, um, I guess, it was the potential outcome framework that was very inspiring first, uh, which mm -hmm. I think was also the case for um, Pajo and Brent, yeah. <laughs> um, that we kind of started with the identification and then um, moved down to uh, estimation. Right. Um, right. So that was how, um, I'm not sure if this is an answer to your no, critique yeah. of the, the panel yeah. data model uh, curriculum, but uh, I guess it's just a different approach that we've taken right. um, than right. the textbook approach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. You know, so this is, this has been a puzzle for me. When I read, when I read Andrew Goodman Bacon's paper, I come away with cross group, cross cohort heterogeneity isn't the source of the bias in that static two-way fixed effects estimator. It's the, it just gets, you know, condensed into that variance weighted average treatment on the treated. It's the dynamic average treated on the treated that creates all this bias for two-way fixed effects in that static parameter. But it seems like you, I don't know if you're disagreeing, but you really emphasize the cross group heterogeneity and the dynamics actually, so long as everybody has the same treatment profile, that's not going to be a problem. So are those in tension with each other that, you know, what Andrew says, you know, what Andrew shows and what you show, they're, they're both true. So I guess they're not in tension with each other, but I can't figure out how to reconcile them because it seems like you're saying it's the cross cohort heterogeneity 
And it feels like Bacon is saying cross-cohort heterogeneity just gets collapsed into that variance-weighted ATT. And I just was wondering if you could tell me a little bit more about why those, how to reconcile those. Oh, yeah. Thanks so much for bringing this up. I really like your characterization for uh, our paper being a combination of Andrew's paper and the paper of um, Brent and Pagel. Uh, because, yes, we actually, uh, I think the um, deviations that we actually focus on a um, different precipitation being the dynamic precipitation. Right. Um, so it's indeed true that if you focus on the static precipitation, both the dynamics and the cross cohort heterogeneity would matter for the interpretation, but it just right. happens so that the dynamics um, kind of put on um, putting the down, downward bias more mm. so than the cross cohort heterogeneity. Mm -hmm. um, but once you move to the um, dynamic dynamic specification that you allow for dynamics, but you didn't allow for cross-cohort uh, heterogeneity, then um, it's the other dimension that um, showed up in the bias. Mm. Um, and um, I guess on that approach, we um, agree with the uh, Peugeot and Brent that uh, we might want to start with uh, what they call the group average treatment effect or what we call the cohort oh, average right. treatment effect on the treatment. Yes. Yeah. Um, so because that's how we can uh, reconcile. So yeah, I right. think the the cross cohort dimension also show up in the static classification, but I think um, um, the dynamic dimension would matter more for the bias because it mm -hmm. really puts down the downward bias on the long-term effect. Right, um, right. Yeah, 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 that's, that's great. That's a great. So it's funny, I guess, you, you could imagine someone reading Andrew's paper and well, I've heard people say this, well, we just need to do event studies. Uh, and then you go to your paper and you find your event studies are flawed because you have all of these contaminations from other leads and lags entering into it, except under this very specific condition which probably no one's comfortable making those strong statements about homogeneity and things of that nature. So, yeah, I guess, I mean, do you think it's an overstate? I mean, it is, should we, should we tell people the problem is using never treated units as comparisons? That's what's driving this. Or do we need to say, no, we're going to need to build different estimators. Because I've heard, you know, the stacking approach that Dubé, that Aaron Dubé uses, it's in many ways that he doesn't, he doesn't develop a new estimator. He just gets rid of all the never treated units or keeps all the never treated units. But you and Pedro and Brant and Sarah have developed new estimators. So why do I need to use your estimator and not just use stacking or something, you know, not just continue to use two-way fixed effects? Oh, okay. I guess there are two points. So one is um, you definitely get rid of the bias if you have only one treatment group. So uh, going from the static classification to dynamic classification with only one treatment group would uh, um, would actually just be fine. Um, mm -hmm. I think um, the paper with Sarah, we are already talking about the situation with multiple treatment groups. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, um, why would we need a new estimator? So 
<laughs> our estimator is actually not that different from um, Pedro and Brent. I yeah. think they use the uh, not yet treated uh, units to yeah. form their control group uh, for yeah. us because uh, we were trying to, um, uh, uh, I guess, frame everything using a regression approach. We're just using the the never treated or the last treated cohort as the control group. Right. Um, right. So uh, we are all um, trying to estimate the group average treatment effect in their term and then um, I guess manually aggregate them. Yeah. Um, um, so yeah, of course, um, this would be um, a valid approach, but uh, I, I do feel that sometimes estimating the event study uh, which is the dynamic physication would be very natural for empirical researchers to do. Um, so we still have um, data package to kind of estimate the weights, which would be informative for how much contamination could happen right, in right, case of right. um, heterogeneous treatment effects. Um, mm -hmm. So um, I guess <laughs> there is the robust approach uh, that uh, Brent, Pedro, Sarah and I have, um, and mm -hmm. um, um, Doobie had also been trying to use, but there's also a diagnosis tool yeah. uh, if, um, if we don't worry too much about heterogeneous treatment yeah, effects. Right, 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 right. Um, okay, so, so walk me through how you would advise me. So I'm working on this project or like, you know, hypothetically I'm working on some project and, I, and I'm going to do an event study and I, and I, I calculate these weights. Kind of walk me through, you know, how you would advise me what am I gonna, how do I use these weights? And what am I, what am I, what am I learning from them? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, so I think for um, the empirical illustration in our paper, we actually walk through the weights for um, um, the pre-treatment or the lead estimate. So the empirical illustration was about the consequences of um, hospitalization on people's yeah. out-of-pocket medical costs and right. uh, uh, labor, labor market earnings. Right. Um, so there, um, because the, I, I think when we were writing the paper, we were mostly concerned about um, the pre-trend test yeah. since that um, potential heterogeneous treatment effects could um, really affect um, the the lead estimate. Mm. So in the paper, we were uh, decomposing this uh, lead coefficient and um, um, we were just trying to assess how uh, how much weight the this coefficient is putting on, um, say, um, the lagged effect. And yeah. it turned out that it's actually not that uh, large. So I guess um, in our paper, we were um, not that concerned right. <laughs> seeing the weights were being very small. Mm -hmm. um, um, yeah, I guess I guess that's something we were trying to work on, like, of course, this is all very subjective. Like, how do you, right. when do you call that the weights are being small? So yeah, in the future, yeah. we definitely want to see if there's a, like a formal test we can provide mm. for this diagnosis tool. Mm. Mm. Yeah, right, right, right. So would you say to someone who does their event studies and, uh, you know, they, they do their event study and they find that they fail their, uh, you know, they they, they uh, reject on the pre-trends and find, you know, that there's that there doesn't appear to be any, you know, 
parallel pre-trends or however you want to say it. But they haven't done your kind of analysis. They haven't used your estimator and they haven't estimated the weights. What are you going to say to them? What would you say to them when they're, when they're discouraged by those pre-trends? Oh, if they <laughs> cannot, um, I, see, I see, if they see a significant um, yeah. return in their estimate, I see. Yeah, then I would suggest maybe check the, uh, check the weights. It's possible that um, a large pre-trans could come from uh, treatment effect heterogeneity if, if the researcher sees a large weight on um, a lag uh, indicator. Um, right. But I think the safest approach would be to do a um, saturated regression as we proposed, or um, um, alternatively, the approach by Brent and Pagel um, to estimate the group average treatment effects uh, prior to the treatment. So that yeah, would be the sure, sure. estimate. Yeah, and yeah. then you can do a joint test for whether all these um, pre-treatment treatment effects are, are zero. Right, so right, I think that right. would be the safest approach. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I guess don't panic. <laughs> don't panic yet. Okay, good. So the saturated regression, that's going to be group indicators interacted with relative time as well as unit fixed effects and time fixed effects is that right yep yeah okay so it's group it's group dummies interacted with event time yeah i mean i i guess i'm showing my ignorance is, was that being done is that common to be done you know i i actually haven't done enough of the diff i haven't done enough differential timing papers um, to know what the common practice is, but is it, when they say a saturated regression, they mean interacting group dummies with the event time as well as the, the two-way fixed effects? Or was that something that you were suggesting? Oh, when people say they saturated the regression? Yeah, that's what they're talking about in a differential timing. They mean group indicators interacted with event time as well. Uh, as I see. Yeah, unfortunately, I probably need to check the pacification to be sure. Uh, yeah, I guess people have saturate um, to mean different things. We also, also use the term um, interaction weighted. The interaction um, weighted, yeah. Borrowed from um, Gibbons and co-authors uh, mm. journal of econometric method um, mm. that they interacted um, group indicators with treatment um, status indicators. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, maybe I should keep to the keep to the interaction with a regression. <laughs> oh no no, that's great. Um, okay, okay. So um, so let me ask. Let me end with this. Um, what do you like being about? What do you what do you like about being an econometrician? And what do you like about being an economist? Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm going to end with like a personal question. What do you oh. like about, what do you like about those two things? I see. Would this be on Substack as well? <laughs> we can take this off. We can, I, I'm just, we can, I can, I can stop it right now. I'll stop it. Okay. <laughs> tell me, tell me 